Nightlife with Philip Clark on ABC Radio. Well, the Reserve Bank once again released, uh, raised interest rates today, 10th time in a row. Following its regular monthly board meeting, the bank added another quarter percentage point to the official cash rate. That means interest rates have now moved to an 11-year high of 3.6% as the RBA battles to bring inflation under control. Well, 10 months ago, in May last year, I know, the rate was just 0.1%. Well, rates were that low. Of course, many Australians took out big mortgages. With the words of the RBA governor suggesting rates wouldn't move again until 2024, no doubt ringing in their ears. Well, joining us to discuss this, along with the federal government's impossible quandary regarding climate change targets and energy mixes. Joining us is Alan Kohler, the ABC's finance commentator and founder of the Eureka Report. Alan, good evening. Welcome to Nightlife. Good day, Phil. Yes, you recently described the RBA's strategy at the moment as wielding a mallet. It's a pretty big mallet. Isn't it? Yes. Mm, 10, uh, 10 rate hikes. The cash rate has gone from 0.1% to 3.6% now, and the um, mortgage rates are uh, somewhere between 5 and 6. There's no, there's no mortgage rates available with a 4 in front of them anymore. Mm. Nope, that's right. We, we were talking earlier in the week about this, uh, and one of our commentators pointed out the wording of the last paragraph of the RBA statements often yields quite a few clues as to their thinking about what's going to happen in the future. This is a Philip Lowe concluded today, quote, the board expects that further tightening of monetary policy will be needed to ensure that inflation returns to target and that this period of high inflation is only temporary. In assessing when and how much further interest rates need to increase the board will be paying close attention to developments of the global economy and they mention a number of other factors. Uh, it's a bit less certain than last month's increase when they said there will be further increases. Are we perhaps seeing some easing in their attitude? Well, de- definitely are. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Everyone got terribly excited today about that change that you just mentioned. In, um, in the February in the um, February statement, uh, in that last paragraph, as you point out, they said that uh, the board expects further increases in interest rates will be needed. Mm. So uh, they've changed that further increases in interest rates will be needed to a further tightening of monetary policy will be needed. Now, you and I might think, well, that's not, <laughs> that's not much of a difference. <laughs> Goodness me, but uh, the economists have got all got very excited and said, uh, oh, well, that means, um, that means there'll be one more, uh, only one more, because last month we thought there'd be two more. But the thing is, that yes, uh, everyone came out in, uh, in February when they made that statement in February and said, "Oh, there'll be two more rate hikes." And um, uh, well, there's now been one more, which was today, which means there's one left. So of course, that's right. There's one left. There's one more to go, <laughs> according to according to that. So the fact that we've gone from uh, expecting two rate hikes more to one more rate hike. Um, is kind of inevitable from the fact that there's been one today, Mm. I would say. There might not be one. Look, I know this kind of speculation is a bit arid, isn't it, because none of us know. (laughs) But uh, there there are some suggestions that it might not be next month. They might keep one in their pocket for later. Yes, well, they inserted the word when uh, in in the statement today saying something. In in assessing when and how much further. Yes, yeah, so, so that that was the first appearance of the word when. 
So everyone's, everyone's got excited about that too. And thought, oh, crikey, that means that uh, they might have a pause. And they might. I mean, you know. They uh, have acknowledged, it, haven't they, that inflation, they have acknowledged that inflation is, has peaked. Well, that's it. That's the point. Mm. I mean, at the top of the statement, it says uh, the monthly CPI indicator suggests that inflation has peaked. Mm. Um, and they also say growth in the Australian economy has slowed. So, uh, Phil, by their own admission, they are tightening interest rates into declining inflation and slowing, glo- slowing growth. So my question is to you, what the hell are they doing? I mean, are they, are they deliberately trying to bring about a recession? Because, mm. you know, that's what's going to happen. If you, if you increase interest rates into a slowdown, what you end up with is a much, much more bigger slowdown, you know. Mm. So, you know, I think they're, um, they're, they're hell-bent on causing a recession, I think. One commentator put it to me that um, Philip Lowe knows full well that the, that the government will not reappoint him in September when his term expires. So he's determined to leave the House, uh, as he sees it, in good order and, and not, leave, not leave his successor with inflation problems. Do you think there is some legacy issue going on here? Maybe, but I, I do think also Phil Lowe, I don't think Phil like, would like to go into retirement um, in the middle of a recession that mm. he's caused. I you know, really don't think. But look, you know, he seems to be hell-bent on doing it. They're increasing interest rates. They did it today and possibly will increase again next month just to make sure about inflation. Mm. Um, because they are absolutely determined to get inflation down to within the two to three percent target band, um, and you know my view is that I reckon they're a bit too fixated on the target band, really. To be honest, mm. I mean I think they they were when inflation was below two percent, uh, which resulted in the reduction of interest rates uh, to be too low which in turn resulted in a boom in house prices, making houses unaffordable in this country and leading to a vast increase in inequality and lots of problems that were caused by the distortion of low interest rates as they tried to get inflation up to 2%. Uh, and now they're bloody, as you say, hammering it with a mallet um, to get it down to 3%. Well, you know. I think it's just a bit too much of a fixation on inflation, mm. in, in my view. Yes, Di, one of my texts says, the damage has been done, and for what? Which oh, I think expresses the frustration of a lot of people. Speaking of, of trying to improve, um, you know, things like property markets, well, they haven't exactly gone cold, have they? I mean, there was a, an auction clearance, clearance rate across Australia of 70% this past weekend. So... It's not exactly yeah, so scored. It, it's not not exactly scared the horses off the high interest rates, has it? No, it's very interesting that um, that that uh, clearance rates are still holding up. Yeah. Uh, the real estate agents say that that's the reason for that is because there's not much stock around. Um, uh, prices seem to be leveling off. There's been a pretty big fall. It's been the the biggest and fastest fall in house prices uh, possibly ever, certainly for a long time. Uh, so we've had a pretty decent correction, but um, they still you know, haven't fallen by by as much as they've went up, though, have they? Oh, no, that's right, oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nowhere near it. Um, and uh, um, 
I, I think it's quite interesting that Australians, you know, uh, do anything but sell the house. You know, I mean, the, the reason there's not much stock on the market is because so far 10 interest rate increases have not led to people selling the house in large numbers mm. because they can't afford the repayments. So, you know, we're hearing a lot of stories about people who are struggling to afford their repayments, but what they're not doing is selling the house um, and, uh, you know, getting out of it and going somewhere else. So the stock is not coming onto the market yet. Uh, whether it does when um, all the fixed-rate mortgages start to tip over to variable is another matter. That's due to be occurring over the next few months. So it'll be very interesting to watch what happens to housing st stock, you know, the number of houses on the market, um, you know, between now and sort of uh, the next six months. Yeah. Yes, exactly, because you know, I think as we've observed many times on the program that uh, <laughs> the the full effect of all these interest rate rises, of course, has not has not we don't know yet we we i mean their full effect hasn't worked its way through the economy uh you say you you mentioned the, the talk of recession uh you think it's still in the offing absolutely yeah mm. i mean i um uh I, I think it's possible that interest rates have already gone up too far and will already be causing in the process of causing a recession um and as phil Lowe said in the statement today monetary policy acts with a lag Hmm. Um, part of the reason for that is because um, it takes a while for mortgage repayments to increase, in turn partly because of all the fixed rate mortgages around. But the other reason is that um, uh, I've just been considering and thinking about the what you might call the median marginal conundrum because uh, the Reserve Bank and economists all operate on median or mean uh, statistics from the ABS. Um, whereas the, the misery that's been caused by higher interest rates is at the margins. It's uh, some proportion of the Australian population who are really struggling now as a result of higher interest rates mm. as to whether it's 5% or 10%, nobody really knows, but it's, it's a large, largest number. But it seems to me what happens is that, the, that those, those people who are doing it really tough and are lining up at the food charities and so on now um, that begins to affect others, you know, because they stop spending, you know, they, they don't go to um, the cafe and they don't, they might not get a haircut. And so the barber's uh, revenue declines a bit. And, and so, and it sort of has this knock on, this gradual knock on effect. So that say that, say the, the marginal people who are uh, doing it hard and are, are suffering badly at the moment, is 5%. Well, over time, that becomes 10% um, because of the knock-on effect of, of the activities, the pullback of the 5%, hmm. and then the 10% pullback, and that becomes 15 and 20%. And so gradually, over time, the, the misery that's being felt at the margins um, becomes the median or, and becomes the mean over time. And so, you know, you know, I think that that's the lag that is occurring. And, and the trouble is once it starts, it kind of, you know, it's, it's like a snowball. It, it's, it's impossible to stop without some kind of um, major intervention. Hmm. And one of the things I've been thinking about is the fact that uh, monetary policy um, has far too much work to do. I mean, it used to be that, and I, I mean, I'm old enough to remember when, uh, macroeconomic policy had three 
three levers to it. There were three pillars to it, wages policy, fiscal policy and monetary policy. And, you know, the, the whole thing kind of worked roughly okay. Wages were set centrally. Um, fiscal policy was a sort of a macroeconomic tool and, and so were interest rates. But uh, enterprise bargaining ended wages policy, so that's, that is mm. no, longer, uh, no longer centrally done and no longer a, a, a tool of macroeconomic policy. Fiscal policy has finished, more or less, except when there's a crisis. So in the GFC and in the pandemic, fiscal policy suddenly gets brought out and the government uh, sends checks to everyone. You know, Spend, money spends, just, spends money. money. Money just pours out of the government, right, in a mm. crisis because it's really nice to give people money. But what, what politicians will never, never want to do is the opposite, which is to take money off them. Mm. Uh, as a tool of uh, economic policy, right? You can't. They won't use fiscal policy to to re, to reduce demand. Um, they'll they'll increase. They'll nope. use fiscal policy to increase demand, but not the to reduce. The only tax policy you're allowed to have in Australia is a tax cut. Precisely, and so um, you know, and and also you know, neoliberalism has been the 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 dominant economic paradigm for forty years, and and that. Uh, uh, dictates that the market knows is the, the perfect hmm. um, tool and governments sort of stay out of it and not get involved. So um, that's been, you know, the thing. I mean, f- fiscal policy has kind of uh, is, has died. And so the only tool we've got for dealing with um, economic cycles and to manipulate demand, either to boost it um, when the economy is too slow or to... Um, to pull it back is interest rates, yep. and and it's just too much for interest rates to do. It's just it's just too much. It can't it can't achieve it. The government's kind of successfully shifted blame onto the Reserve Bank, haven't they? Uh, and well, they, sometimes they, watching Jim Chalmers, you think butter wouldn't melt in his mouth <laughs> as he asserts that. Well, there's nothing much we can do about it. Speaking of which, though, the federal budget's in May. I know there was a mini budget last year, but this is the first. Uh, proper budget. I mean, the government's going to be under pressure to do something about the so-called cost of living crisis. But by that stage, by the time of May, we could we might have seen two more rate rises. We may. So, you, you know, the government's going to be under pressure to do something. But then again, they probably don't want to be doing something because it's the first budget. And traditionally, of course, if you want to get tough, that's this is the time to get tough. We've seen a little bit of that with the super proposal. Uh, the government's in a bit of a bind here, aren't they? <laughs> well, as you say, the, the the statements from Jim Chalmers, the treasurer, uh, have in relation to monetary policy have all been about you know the RBA is independent. Don't blame us. Yeah, don't blame us. Uh, right. But he also says in the same in the same statements, he also says uh, what we're doing is we're trying to provide cost of living relief, but mm. to do it responsibly. Um, and he doesn't quite say this, but really what he what he means is that we're, we're trying to provide cost of living relief without offsetting what the RBA is trying to do, yeah. because the RBA is trying to do the opposite and cause cost of living pain. That's the that's the RBA's task. Exactly. And so the politicians want you know feel the need to say that we're going to try to provide cost of living relief against the cost of living pain that the RBA is. Itself trying to cause. So they can't really hand out cash, can they? Absolutely not. Well, that, you know, that but they'll just, be under great pressure to do something. Well, to to hand out cash 
uh, and to provide, provide cost of living relief that was actually meaningful re- would result in far more hmm. uh, interest rate rises uh, than would otherwise occur. Hmm. So they would just worsen. They would just worsen the situation. Um, and as you say, there's a there's a big budget problem to fix. I mean, the the budget they brought out in October showed a a fifty billion dollar structural deficit forever. I mean, it, it, there there is no there was no in the in the long term uh, forecasts in the October budget there was no surplus. There was in fact. Not only was there no surplus, there was no the the the, uh, the graph of the budget deficit was flat hmm. at two percent of GDP, which is fifty billion dollars. Um, so uh, you know, are they going to close that gap? Maybe not. Maybe they'll go. Oh well, it doesn't matter. Um, we can be Japan now. Ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear, my texter says buy coffee at the petrol station. It's only two bucks. Versus four fifty at the cafe. Uh, well, there's there's cost of living relief for you. There you that's, are, cost of living. That's right. <laughs> but but mind you, you probably have to buy the petrol for that, and that's going to, that's going to cause you some considerable cost of living pain. Let's take a call or two. One three hundred eight hundred triple two is the number. Andrew's on the line from Hobart. Hi, Andrew. Oh, good day. <clears throat> Thanks for taking the call. Pleasure. Um, question, Alan, about interest rates. I understand the RBA announced a an increase today. Now, do you know how how many days hypothetically does it take for that to hit somebody's account? That um, rate rise today, or you're not sure? Well, look, it'll. I mean, depends on the 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 individual to some extent. I mean, but um, theoretically, if you're on a variable mortgage rate, um, you know, it'll go up as long as the if the bank puts up its variable rate immediately. Um, then you'll have to in- increase your interest rates probably in a month or two. Mm. I mean, at, at the at three months at the latest. Mm. Yeah, I think at the outside. When we go judging by what banks have done so far, Andrew. And obviously, if you've got a fixed rate fixed, fixed rate mortgage, it's um, not until the fixed fixed rate period ends. So why the lag? Just out of curiosity, like if you if I'm if hypothetically I was on a um, variable rate now and mm. they announced an interest rate. Now, uh, an increase now. What? Why? Oh, I, th- I think. Uh, well, look. I think banks are pretty relaxed about it. They, I mean, they just they look after their customers, and you know, I, I think uh, it certainly doesn't happen immediately. Um, mm. um, yeah. So look, I, I mean, okay. I, I, it, it takes a month or two. I think. Mm. Yep. Uh, Francis from Paddington. Hi, Francis. Oh, hi. Hi, guys. Uh, just interested in the contradictory effect of interest rate rises. Mm comes the cost to, for example, uh, people renting. It becomes a cost to business. Yep. Therefore, they've got to increase their prices to cover the cost to them of the interest rates. Hmm. So, in the <laughs> by the same mechanism that the oh, you're uh, saying they, it's actually inflationary because it puts prices up. Yes, hmm. obviously. Hmm. Absolutely correct. Hmm. That's right. <laughs> how do we explain, um, how do we how do we deal with this contradiction, Alan? <laughs> oh well, because uh, they're what they're doing is they're trying to uh, stop people spending. They're trying to actually reduce the demand in the economy, um, and uh, in some ways they are um, intending for the interest rate rises to be passed on through price increases, um, because they're looking for something more substantial than some sort of superficial uh, halt on prices. They want. They want the economy itself to slow down. They want 
output to fall. They want uh, demand to fall. They want the whole economy to slow down. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, yes, it does put some pressure on prices. Um, it's pat the, the the increase in prices that result from interest rates going up is patchy because it depends on um, you know it depends on competition and it depends on the extent to which businesses have borrowings. So not all businesses are you know have got a lot of borrowings and those that do have different levels of borrowing. So the impact of interest rates going up on the businesses costs um, you know vary considerably between between the businesses. And so, you know, one business that might be borrowed up to its eyeballs uh, has got a comp- competitor who's got no debt and is not putting up prices, and so they're in trouble. They can't put up their prices because they'll lose they'll lose market share. Yep. Okay, Francis. Thank you. One three hundred eight hundred triple two is the number. Uh, Karen says at least they're putting up the pension in a few weeks. <laughs> yes. Well, that's true. It's indexed, isn't it? So with high inflation, of course, uh, you'll receive as a, as a pensioner the benefits. Well, the benefits, you'll receive recompense in that sense with, uh, with an increase in the pension through that indexation. Brant says, do you want to become governor of the Reserve Bank next, uh, Alan? Oh, no, thanks. <laughs> there we go. one three hundred eight hundred. Triple two is the number. Um, look, on to another topic. You had a piece in the New Daily yesterday saying that to defeat climate change, Australia must do the impossible. I thought it was a very interesting piece, actually, because to a large extent it's true, isn't it? I don't think Australians are really being let in on how difficult all of some of these climate targets are going to be to meet. Uh, we've got this argument between Labor and the Greens at the moment. The Greens are saying, unless you, unless you say no to no, any new coal and gas, you know, we're not going to agree to anything. Uh, although they probably will, I suspect, because if they don't agree to the government's safeguards legislation, they're in a very difficult position, I would think. Uh, but it's true, isn't it, that new mining and industrial projects of almost any sort will make it harder uh, and new fossil fuels will mean achieving the target goes from being almost impossible, sorry, almost impossible, to probably being actually impossible, doesn't it? That's my view. Um, yeah, so, I mean, just to be clear about it, the uh, the, the Labor Party has got a, uh, a target of 43% reduction in our, Australia's total emissions by 2030 versus right. 2005 levels and, and net zero by 2050. So, but but the one that matters for the moment is the 43% by 2030. Uh, I reckon, I don't know, I haven't had this confirmed, I reckon that number was um, back-engineered as a split the difference between the Coalition's 28% and the Greens' 75%. So the, the Labor Party had to come up with a number that was the 2030 ambition. Uh, it couldn't go for the Greens' 75%. Which um, you know feels too high, and obviously it had to be higher than the coalition's twenty eight percent, and forty three percent is basically in the middle of those two. So I reckon they started with forty three percent, and they worked backwards, and uh, the working backwards um, uh, basically means that you, you've got to focus on. And the way they've done it, they've decided to do it, is to use the um, the coalition's um, scheme which was called the, the safeguard mechanism. Now, Greg Hunt set that up with the intention that it could be tightened over time. The, the, the safeguard mechanism was designed as a kind of, uh, as it sounds like, a backstop uh, 
for the coalition's policy, which was to pay um, companies to reduce their emissions. But they needed some sort of backstop and they set up this safeguard emissions. And basically they said anyone that emits more than 100,000 tonnes a year, um, we're going to set your baseline. And Greg Hunt uh, uh, intended that it could be tightened over time, but Tony Abbott overruled him and said that the they would never tighten them you know while the coalition's in power and that the the companies that emit more than 100,000 tons a year could continue to do what they do what they did and you know they would never be hmm. tightened and so uh, there's 215 uh, businesses actually facilities you know mines or factories or um, whatever they are um, that are in that category they they represent 28% of Australia's total emissions and they have to to achieve the 43% overall uh, reduction, those 215 facilities have to reduce their emissions by 4.9% per annum between now and 2030. Um, uh, and the thing is that, uh, you know, when, when the Labor Party released this um, policy, they had some modelling done that they paid for from a firm called Reputex, which said it'll be fine, no problem. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it won't be fine at all. I mean, 4.9% reduction for most of these businesses is... It's not going to be achievable, is it? It's its really difficult. I mean, some will be able to uh, reduce it, but not that many. I but mean... There are whole industries be, which can't really easily abate, aren't they? I mean, conc- I mean so the I'm, cement industry, I, I, for example. That's right. Well, I'm looking at the list now as I speak to you. And um, where are we? Uh, Queensland Alumina uh, makes it makes aluminium, right, mm-hmm. or alumina. And, um, you know, it's millions of tonnes of... And it can, what's it going to do? It can't actually reduce it. Um, Qantas is one of the biggest... That's right. It can't actually stop years. making it, and there's not really an alternative technology available to them. And so... Same with cement, and, same with cement production, I mean, which is vital to the Australian economy. Precisely. There's not really another way of doing it. Well, not yet. I mean, no. there will be eventually. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of people working on mm. uh, producing cement without... Um, without emissions, or at least much lower emissions, mm. um, but that's kind of de- that's decades off. Um, Qantas and Virgin are in the list, uh, uh, you know, the, the airlines, because uh, they have big emissions. But all that's going to happen with them is that they fly more planes, and they are not going to be flying electric planes. Yeah. Well, there aren't. That's right. There aren't. There aren't alternatives <laughs> to. You know, no, so, so travel is going to uh, mm. travel is only going to increase. Um, so. Um, uh, this guy that I uh, follow a bit who works for CBA, Vivek Dar, who's a, um, an analyst, he figured out, he's been doing some modelling on it, he figured out that um, the 215 emitters in the safeguard mechanism um, have to reduce their um, uh, carbon intensity, which is the amount of carbon they emit per unit of output, right? So for, for an air, airline, it's, you know, the amount of carbon per flight mm-hmm. and for a cement producer it's the amount of carbon per ton of cement and so on uh, they have to reduce the carbon intensity by 35 percent between now and uh, 2030 i mean that is an immense reduction and for comparison purposes he looked at what the national electricity market has done over the past seven years um, given the fact that the the nem the, the electricity market has had a huge influx of renewable energy with solar mm. solar on roofs and wind farms and solar farms and so on. Um, 
And so over the past seven years, the same period of time that is facing us now, um, the NEM has reduced its uh, carbon intensity by 24%. Even, uh, even with all of the solar and wind that's been um, mm. added, to the, added to the market. So uh, the reduction of 35%, uh, is is it pretty much impossible. It ain't going to happen, is it? I mean, and so is... the alternatives to redu- the alternatives. There are two alternatives to reducing their carbon intensity. First is to reduce production, right? So they can actually just do less. Um, but no company wants to do that. All these executives are, bo- are given bonuses for increasing production. That's right. Right. So, so you know, they're in highly incentivized to increase production and profits. They don't, want to make, um, they don't want to make less al- al- alumina or they don't want to make less cement. No, of course. That's but, that's, right. but that may be the only, uh, only obvious thing well, to do. Well, and the thing is that, um, uh, well, the, the other alternative is to buy uh, offsets. Well, this, uh, which, this is uh, the other thing. In other words, plant trees. Well, yeah, so the, well, it's, the planting trees are not the only thing, but it's you know the main mm. thing or one of the main things. Mm. Uh, and the, these things are called Australian Carbon Credit un- Units. Act this used. is what the Greens are complaining about, aren't they? Say, so, well, this is you know all they'll do is go and buy um, carbon credit union uh, uh, offsets these carbon credit union units. But but for, for some a lot of these industries, there won't be an alternative, will there? Well, that's right, and there also may not be enough. Um, accus, yeah. you know, like the, the the demand for them is likely to be enormous. Well, it's an open market, isn't it? So the price of those things is going to go through the roof, isn't it? Well, except the governor said we're going to cap the price at seventy five dollars a ton, um, but that's actually the price at which the government proposes to trade them. Hmm. It will buy and sell accus for seventy five dollars, but other people can trade them at whatever price they like. And so these things are going to, you know, have two markets. There'll be the government market at seventy five bucks, and there'll be the, the other market, the goodness knows what. Um, and the thing is that companies, to the extent that companies have to buy ACUs in order to offset their e- emissions because they can't reduce by 4.9% per annum or won't, um, is going to be an extra cost to the business. Um, so either they're going to pass on that cost um, to their customers or they will lose market share to imports or both. And the imports will be coming from countries that have lesser emission controls than Australia. Mm. So their products, their cement, for example, um, will be cheaper than Australia's cement, which is having to reduce its emissions by 4.9% per annum. And so then the question of what the government does about um, what's called a border adjustment, and that is to say putting a tariff on the imported cement from countries that haven't got um, similar uh, emissions reduction targets to Australia mm. is a really important one. Um, and that's an argument that's mm. yet to be had. I know, it's an argument. And here we, we do it. Does anybody want to go down that road? Once well, they have to. Yeah. I mean, that, that is really vital. It has to be. Mm. What, what is going to happen to, I mean, you raised um, this and you know, a lot of these things are sort of sitting there and the government's not talking about them and for obvious reasons because they don't have answers. Uh, things like Woodside's Northwest Shelf gas project, for example. Well, so there's, which is there's an a... enormous project, and which, when it comes on stream, which is well, it's coming on stream in the next three or four years, uh, it's going to add to to the amount of carbon pollutant in the you know massively, and That's yet right. no one's suggesting that this project stop. Well, it can't. It can't stop. 
Yeah, so it's, it's called Scarborough, and yeah. it's it's due to start in 2026. Um, there's another one in Northern Territory called Beedaloo. There's there's a whole mm. bunch of projects, but it's also uh, new factories. I mean, somebody might build a new cement factory, mm. right? I mean, it's not just the gas projects. It's any kind of project that emits more than 100,000 tonnes a year has to come into the safeguard mechanism. And so um, every time a new project, such as Scarborough or Beedaloo or something, um, starts up, uh, it gets added to the 215 in the safeguard mechanism and everybody else has to reduce their emissions faster. So I don't entirely understand why all of the other businesses, existing businesses in the safeguard mechanism aren't telling the government aren't saying to the government the same thing that the Greens are saying, which is no new projects. <laughs> why does – explain to people why the government finds this such a hard pledge to make to make anyway. It doesn't want to be seen as being anti-development. No. Um, Although the, know, Greens, no. the Greens may well be right in their, in their uh, analysis of this. The only way forward is to is – to, is to, to do this, but of course, what government wants to wear the pain of this? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I mean, I, I think that the government is, you know, not levelling with us in a number of ways at all. And that's, no. you know, this is one of them. And I, um, uh, the other thing I is I th- that I think is that uh, I mean, I, I, obviously, the, the global warming is a, is a global thing, right? Australia's what, does, what Australia does is virtually irrelevant. It's all about what the rest of the world does, and in particular countries like China and America and Europe and so on. Mm. And um, you know, uh, I, I'm I'm terribly pessimistic about the world's chances of reducing emissions um, sufficiently. I just think that you know they've been going out at having uh, annual meetings since 1997, which was the Kyoto meeting and the Kyoto Protocols, um, and emissions have done nothing but go up. And that's so right. that's right. Um, I, you know, I reckon we're heading for, you know, a really dire climate catastrophe. And so um, all the money that's being spent, it seems to me, on, you know, trying to reduce emissions, uh, at least as, as much should be spent on um, preparing us for um, the impact of global warming. Because, you know, I, I reckon we're going to be in a situation in not too distant future where nobody in Australia can live on a flood, on a floodplain. I mean, it just won't be, I just think it won't be possible to live on a floodplain. And I think that um, it probably won't be possible to live in, um, uh, live in a forest. Hmm. So, you know, and I, and I think the cyclones are going to head South, you know, we're going to be having cyclones in the Gold Coast and then North of New South Wales. So, you know, I think that there needs to be a real, much more of a focus on the impact of climate change and what is, what's it going to do and to, um, to coastal communities. I mean, how, what's it going to do to real estate values, um, you know, everywhere? What, what's it going to do? What does it mean for insurance? Um, who's going to be able to be insured and what happens when their house burns down and, um, or gets flooded? You know, I mean, I, I just think there's so much... Yeah, we had, an interesting, we had an interesting discussion um, uh, last week or week before, I think it was, here on the program about whether or not there is actually in the world, uh, given that you might have the will, whether there actually are sufficient resources and financial resources included to, 
to do the abatement that's necessary. And a lot of people think that we may have passed that tipping point. In other words, in other words, we don't right now. Look, over the longer term, of course, of course, something will have to be done. But right now, we don't have the resources available to us to abate what we need to abate. Well, we're at one point two degrees of warming now um, from pre-industrial um, uh, period. Hmm. Uh, we're going to fly past the one point five degrees, which was the Paris target. Um, two degrees of warming, uh, you start to get into tipping points. Uh, you know, and, and sort of cascading effects. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think um, there needs to be some kind of focus on this. And, I, I mean, I had a, a column in the New Daily a while ago, like like a year ago, hmm. in which I kind of half-jokingly said the, the the outfit that should be managing this is the Reserve Bank because uh, they're the only ones who can print money. And so much money is going to be needed to, you know, to deal with this. Yes. Um, that basically it's going to have to be money that's printed. There just isn't enough money. It's going to have to be printed. Um, so uh, the Reserve Bank should be given the job. But, you know, as I say, <laughs> half joking. But, you know, I mean, yeah. they, they print money like crazy, as they've done, they've been doing for the past 10 years, and the Federal Reserve has been doing the same thing in order to get inflation up to 2%. And who the hell cares? I mean, inflation 1%, it's fine. I mean, you know, prices going up 1%, Fine with me, you know, we don't need inflation at 2%. But to get inflation up to 2%, they've been pr- printing trillions of dollars, right, for the past 10 years, <laughs> when what we need is trillions of dollars to save the planet. Mm. Mm. I, I, as you can tell, I get a little bit <laughs> I get a little bit exercised about this. Well, I mean, as you mentioned uh, in your piece too, that, you know, the, We've been oversold, haven't we? The the opportunities for the green revolution, as it were. I mean, there are green opportunities, but sometimes realizing these green opportunities will sometimes, in a sense, for us here in Australia, make things worse. I mean, for example, digging up uh, minerals for batteries. We well, can't, you know, we, we can't really make them here because the emissions will cause problems for us. Well, that, that's right. I mean, that was I got a lot of people getting stuck into me for that comment, but look. <laughs> I mean, um, it is an issue that um, if you have a new project, it isn't just the Scarborough gas field, or you know, that, that adds it's to... It's any new project, isn't it? It's yeah. any new project, right? So yeah. if you're going to build a big lithium processing plant, that's probably going to have emissions. You know, it's, it's kind of hard not to. Uh, so that just gets added to the safeguard mechanism, you know. I mean, maybe that's okay. We don't mind that. But, um, I mean, I think that what's... What's likely to happen? The the, the Australia's green revolution um, superpower potential is basically digging up lithium and copper and nickel to um, for batteries and shipping that overseas as is. That's probably what we're going to do because that's what we do with iron ore. Um, you know, we don't we don't make steel anymore in this country. We basically ship the stuff to China to do it. Mm. Thanks very much. Mm. So I don't think we're going to be making lithium batteries. Um, let's take a few calls. Some people have been waiting on here. Hi, David. Hi there. I want to ask Alan. I uh, watched his um, segment on 7.30 called Detonation the other week. Mm-hmm. And he said that uh, the IMF has been saying that our prices for housing is misaligned by up to 
what would be required to bring it back down 50%? I know that would be catastrophic from an economical perspective, but is it better that happens now than kicking it further down the road? Uh, well, I, I, as you say, I think that a 50% drop in house prices would be pretty difficult. Um, so, I, you know, personally, I'd prefer it to, to happen gradually, but I think it'd you know, I think it's the sort of thing that needs to happen. Australian houses are too expensive. You know, they're just too expensive for um, people. I mean, you know, my kids, everybody's—they're all just having—they're they're having to cough up tough, huge amounts of money to buy a house. It's ridiculous. So yeah, I mean, that's—I agree. But you know, we don't want the house prices to fall thirty or forty or fifty percent straight away. But I think. I mean, personally, I think the best way to deal with it would be for house prices not to change for 20 years. Hmm. Um, you know, that, the, that's what we want, I reckon. Just hmm. no, just leave, the, leave house prices where they are for 20 years and everything else will catch up. You know, every, incomes will rise, inflation will rise. Um, and uh, in 20 years' time, uh, that house that's worth $1.5 million today is still worth $1.5 million, you know. And, okay, so the person who was banking on that house being worth three million um, in twenty years. Sorry, they miss out, but that's life. One three hundred eight hundred triple two. Marcus is in Toowoomba in Queensland. Hi, Marcus. Good evening, gentlemen. And um, if I could just make a comment, if I could, Mr. Colo and yourself there, regarding house prices. Okay, please just humour me here for a minute, if you would. I'm not too long, Marcus. No, not too long. I'm sixty-five. When I was a child, the average house in Australia was. 12 squares, hmm. maybe 14 squares, and four people lived in the house. Now, the average house in Australia, I think, is 28 squares. 1.8 million people live in the house. We should be encouraging girls to build smaller houses. People add an extra fifty to $80,000 in the build of a house for the ability to urinate two metres from where they sleep. Now, we've got a Kelpie dog. She doesn't go to the toilet too much when she sleeps. She goes down the backyard. Hmm. We build the wrong types of houses for Australia. Everything's, everything's bigger, afford... Marcus. Everything's bigger. Cars but are bigger. Houses that, are bigger. But, no, no. It shouldn't. Cars aren't bigger. They're smaller. But um, I think so. the, the, the people live within the means. If you live within your means and you have the ability to live in a house that suits your means, well and good. People don't need media rooms. They don't need 4.5. Others. What they need is a decent pergola out the back, a barbecue, and, and enjoy being out in the Australian environment. It's ridiculous that, they, that we have these houses. Why would anyone hmm. buy, have a million-dollar um, mortgage when they could have a house half the size that met their needs and needs of their children for half the cost of the mortgage? Well, I mean, Marcus, I, you and I might agree, might agree with all that, Marcus. <laughs> what, what about, yeah, but what about the wine cellar? I mean... <laughs> Don't take that away from me. <laughs> That's right. In the media room. No, but the, uh, the other thing is, you know, uh, well, I don't know. Anyway, that was okay. That was a good. That was a comment, not a question. No, it's a comment, not a question. Move and, on. And, prob- and probably, you know, <laughs> many people might agree with that. Of course, I mean, mandating this is, of course, quite another matter. What, Va- what Valerie, nobody's, what nobody's got any more, Phil. Just before we move, yeah, Valerie yeah. is a backyard. Those are gone. No, anyway. back- backyards have gone exactly. Valerie, hello. Yes. Hello. Hi, I'm ringing because I've been listening to you. I listen to you regularly just about every night just before I go to bed. But I was very interested in the fact that the um, Governor of the Reserve Bank has raised interest rates again. Mm -hmm. Now, I heard someone say it's the 10th 
increase. That's right. And he's predicting more. Mm-hmm. I want to know why he didn't predict the increases which occurred just after the Labor Party won the election. So you mean uh, the less, less than tell it's about ten months since the Labor Party won the election in May, right? Yes, yeah. Go We've on. had ten increases since then. In interest but it rates. Have, well, since voting, then. voting Surely, for the coalition. If he can foretell now what the interest rates are going to, inc- how long they're going to take to increase, why couldn't he do that while the coalition government was in? Oh, okay. Um, I, I'm not quite sure what the point of the question wouldn't The coalition government being voted back wouldn't have made any difference, I'm afraid. No, no. Do you, you accept that, no, don't you, Valerie? But it, I'm just interested because it came in straight after Labor won the election. Yeah, but, I mean, if the coalition had won the election, the interest rate rises would have gone on too. I don't wouldn't believe have. that. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, I <laughs> okay. see. Oh, okay. I see. I see. You think it's a uh, Labor... No, it's, it's, it's a, a political Labor. thing, mm. yeah. It's yeah, a, a Labor plot, Phil. I'm not sure that that's right. But uh, uh, Kate from Cairns. Hi, Kate. Oh, hello. How are you? Not bad. Um, I'm wondering when all of this stuff settles down, when is the price of food? Is it going to decrease or is it going to just keep going up and up and up even when we've got to whatever um, the bank wants? Mm-hmm. Or what the government wants, you know, and all the monetary concerns have been attended to by the Reserve Bank. What what's going to happen with the supermarkets and the food and the all that kind of stuff? Is it going to go down, or are we just going to keep going up and up and up and never go down again? Well, the intention of the Reserve Bank is to uh, make it so that food prices don't rise as much. Um, uh, they're not. I don't think they want food prices to fall. Um, but look, uh, the thing about food prices is it's very difficult to talk about. People can't afford to buy it now. No, okay. No, I get it. Uh, yeah. Food prices have gone up a lot. That's true. And the Reserve Bank is trying to uh, get food prices to stop rising so much um, by uh, whacking up interest rates so people can't buy as much food. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's, the, that's the plan anyway. Hmm. Earl in Caulfield in Victoria, just on the text line, this focus on houses is wrong. We need to focus on homes. The government must increase funding for supported housing. Well, this this is a cultural issue, isn't it, uh, Alan? And how you change the culture uh, of thinking about a house as a as a shelter, as home, as an essential service rather than as an investment is, of course, a moot point. Governments could do this over a period of time, but they don't want to, do they? Well, look, I, I think that the fact that uh, housing has become financialized yeah um, it's become an investment uh, it's become an investment when it should you know, be is a, is a, i think that is a blight on society it I is, think yeah. it's, it's a real a real problem um, and i think it's a real pity and it was supercharged by in part um, by the uh, halving of the capital gains tax um, by the howard government which you know i think has kind of made people want to buy housing as an investment because they can, um, you know, they pay less tax on the capital gain. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, and it's, it's helped by negative gearing, being able to deduct your interest from your other expenses. So, look, I, you know, I think it's a real problem. I agree. Mm. 
Carolyn from East Melbourne says, mitigation, Alan, is hard due to over a decade of inaction, to put it nicely, on climate policy by the coalition government. It's a cop-out to say, just focus on adaptation. Well, yeah, raking over history like is, is instructive, I guess, Caroline and, and, and Alan, isn't it? But it doesn't really alter the fact of what we face where we're at. I'm not entirely sure what, what um, Caroline is saying. I mean, she was but, saying we didn't do enough early enough. Yeah, fair enough. But she's suggesting that uh, talking about adaptation to climate change is a cop-out as opposed to trying to do something about it. I think I mean, she's I, saying that, yeah. Yeah, there is. I mean, look, there is an argument for that, but I'm not saying don't do anything about it. I'm just saying that let's re- accept the reality that it's going to mm. happen. And let's be, let's but, be honest, actually, about the difficulties of what we face. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We've got to go. Sadly, uh, Alan, it's always been interesting and plenty of people, as I say, want you to take the reins and be in charge, but I'll leave that to you. Uh, but thank you very much for, uh, for your time and, and thoughts as well. It's always great. Thanks, Alan. No worries, Phil. Alan Thanks. Alan has been with us. We'll get him back down the track. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.